Welcome to The Space Show, presented by members of the Space Association of Australia. Hello, I'm Andrew Rennie. Welcome to our Blue Moon Special, introduced by... Australian guitarist Tommy Emanuel. Yes, and don't hesitate to go outside and look at the blue moon. <laughs> okay, it's not blue, but the moon is at perigee, the closest point to the Earth, and it's a full moon. And that means it's a super moon, because the moon looks about 7% bigger than usual, and certainly looks a lot brighter being closer to us. And the blue part, well, that's because it's the second full moon of the month. Yes, we had one in the early August, and it's now a full moon again. So the second full moon in a month is called a blue moon. So here in Melbourne, you should be able to see that full moon. Uh, I've been looking at it several times this evening already, and um, in the in the gaps between the clouds that we have here in Melbourne right now. But yes, it's easily visible. Right. Well, let's move on. What else is on the show? Well, Indians dance with joy as Vikram lands successfully on the moon's southern hemisphere, and we visit Arnhem Space Centre with NASA to learn why. They have launched sounding rockets from the Northern Territory. Apollo 16 astronaut Charlie Duke, the 10th man to walk on the moon. And you got a bunch of guys about to turn blue. This is The Space Show, Australia, on 88.3 Southern FM. Last Wednesday evening, we here at the Space Show were turning blue as we followed the descent of the Vikram lander towards the southern hemisphere of the moon. Fortunately, we were not so blue that we forgot to record the action coming across our live feed from the Indian Space Research Organization's telemetry tracking and command network at Pina in Bengaluru. First, the welcome. A very good evening to all of you. We at ISRO welcome you to the live coverage of India's prestigious Chandrayaan-3 mission's landing event on the lunar surface. From Mission Operation Complex at ISRO's telemetry tracking and command network, ISTRAC, situated in Namma Bengaluru, Karnataka. I, Arushi Seth, and my colleague, Dr. Padamdeo Mishra, are your hosts for the evening and shall accompany you on the journey of the landing event from powered descent start to touchdown. Today we shall be witnessing the final phase of the critical and most technologically challenging mission operations of Chandrayaan-3, wherein the lander module will be making a safe and soft landing on the surface of the moon. 
these display screens show the countdown to the power descent start as well as the path that will be followed by the lander module. We are 18 minutes away from the commencement of power descent. India is at the brink of creating history as we all await with bated breath to witness the landing on Moon's South Polar region. The Vikram lander had been carried into lunar orbit by the Chandrayaan-3 spacecraft. Vikram's rocket engines had two tasks. First, to null out Vikram's horizontal orbital velocity. Second, to lower the lander slowly to the surface against the lunar gravitational field strength of 1.6 metres per second squared. अभी आपने मिश्रा जी के द्वारा सुना इसरो के अब तक के लूनार मिशंस का विवरण अब चलते हैं टुवर्ड्स चंद्रयान 3 द फॉलो अप मिशन ऑफ चंद्रयान 2 व्हिच हैज बीन डिजाइंड टू एकॉम्प्लिश आवर मिशन गोल्स द प्राइमरी ऑब्जेक्टिव ऑफ चंद्रयान 3 मिशन इज द डेमोंस्ट्रेशन ऑफ सेफ एंड सॉफ्ट लैंडिंग ऑन द लूनार सरफेस दिस डेमोंस्ट्रेशन इज अ क्रिटिकल एस्पेक्ट फॉर इसरोस फ्यूचर इंटरप्लैनेटरी मिशंस इन एडिशन टू दिस the mission objectives also include demonstration of roving capability and conduction of in situ scientific experiments on moon's surface carried on the shoulders of india's heaviest rocket lvm3 on the 14th of july chandrayaan 3 was placed in the precise elliptic parking orbit of size 170 by 36500 kilometers isro in its mission plan of following the incremental trajectory approach carried a total of five earthbound maneuvers. The fifth apogee raising maneuver, which took place on the 25th of July, placed the spacecraft in an orbit of 250 by 127,000 kilometers. At the early hours of 1st August, the translunar injection was carried out, after which the composite module began the final leg of its long journey of nearly 384,000 kilometers for its rendezvous with the moon. The TLI was a key step in the mission, enabling the spacecraft to escape Earth's gravitational pull and travel to the moon. An orbit of 288 by 369,328 kilometers was achieved at the end of the translunar injection. Our commentator explained the planned landing procedure. We have arrived at the crucial juncture wherein the orbit plane contains the desired landing site at the start of powered descent. We are also happy to announce that live images from the Chandrayaan-3 lander imager camera is being received continuously. The demonstration of soft landing on the moon's surface is no ordinary feat due to the innumerable challenges and complexities involved. The lander velocity has to be killed from nearly 6,048 kilometers per hour without any aid from the thin and tenuous moon's atmosphere. The lunar dust at the time of landing and the craters and boulders scattered over the moon's surface make it further complicated to achieve this. The new and improved Chandrayaan-3 design has been built after envisaging all the scenarios which the lander module can encounter. With several software improvements, provision for full-level redundancies, a plethora of special tests, namely the integrated hot test, integrated cold test, and lander leg drop tests were carried out for the lander module. The success of these tests 
has provided great confidence in the performance of all the onboard sensors, propulsion system, and associated guidance, control, and navigation algorithms. The key findings during the tests have enabled to improve the overall system performance. The largely unexplored South Pole of the Moon has been chosen as the intended landing site since there is a possibility of finding ice and other minerals which would be vital resources for future explorers. Apart from continuing investigations pioneered by Chandrayaan-1 and Chandrayaan-2, the Chandrayaan-3 mission will also provide invaluable data to the science community around the world. The Chandrayaan-3 orbiter, the Vikram lander and the Pragran rover all had scientific instruments. Apart from the sensors, Chandrayaan-3 is equipped with a suite of sophisticated payload instruments. While Chandrayaan-1 and Chandrayaan-2 orbiter have provided abundant remote sensing data of Moon, equally important are the on-site localized measurements that provide ground truths. Lander and rover have payloads which are completely new and will perform in-situ analysis of lunar surface. The two spectroscopes on rover, APXS and LIBS, will actively measure the surface elemental abundances at the landing location and surrounding area. The lander carries a seismometer ILSA that can sense impact events and lunar quakes. The thermal probe chart will measure the temperature profile and thermal conductivity of Moon's regolith. The Rambha payload will carry out lunar ionosphere studies while the laser retroreflector array shall be a passive location indicator for future spacecraft equipped with laser altimeter. The propulsion module has not been left behind and an experimental shape payload has been added to it as a value addition. It will help in understanding the nature and characteristics of water-rich planets and will also aid in the future study of potentially habitable exoplanets. Excitement in the crowded mission control room grew as the time to begin the slowing of Vikram approached. We are minutes away from the start of powered descent. The entire powered descent shall be carried out by the onboard autonomous landing sequencer or ALS, which a series of instructions preloaded to the lander module. These instructions include the commands to be executed, data to be collected and analyzed, and decisions to be made and executed autonomously throughout the powered descent. Soon the telemetered data showed that all was ready for the first phase of the descent. We have continuous flow of lander telemetry data from ISRO's Deep Space Network, IDSN32, located in Belalu, Bengaluru. The data is being acquired real-time by station and is flown to the mission operation complex through our communication links. In addition to it, we also have support from ESA and JPL DSN stations. There will be no ground intervention once the ALS takes charge. The preparation for today's event had started 48 hours before, wherein various pre-selections and uplinking of parameters for the autonomous landing sequence were carried out. The whole descent is divided into four phases. The rough breaking phase, the attitude hold phase, fine breaking phase and the local navigation phase or the terminal descent phase. One further explanation of the phases of the descent. 
during the rough breaking phase the lander velocity shall be brought down from 1680 meters per second to 358 meters per second the altitude will be brought down from 30 kilometers to 7.4 kilometers at the end of rough breaking and tension rose as the technicians monitored how vikram was progressing through its pre-programmed preparations for its powered descent the scientists here at istrac are glued to their systems analyzing all sorts of complex data we are very close to the powered descent to the start of the powered descent phase and most of the people in the mission control room appeared to have nothing to do but observe and cheer which they did when vikram's descent rockets ignited the pivotal powered descent has begun and the lander module is propelling towards the moon's surface along the intended trajectory ji ha ab hum ab dekh sakte hain rough breaking phase ki shuruaat ho chuki hai during this rough breaking phase the lander velocity shall be brought down from 1680 meters per second to 358 meters per second The altitude will be brought down from 30 kilometers to 7.4 kilometers at the end of rough breaking. All this in the duration of 690 seconds or 11.5 minutes. Currently, the laser inertial reference and accelerometer package (LIRAP) is aiding in the navigation. At this point, Vikram was horizontal with its engines firing against the direction of orbital motion. The altitude of the lander module. will reduce from 7.4 kilometers to 6.8 kilometers during the next phase which is going to be the attitude hold phase we can currently see that the altitude of the lander module is nearly 31 kilometers the isro commentator reminded us that vikram was descending autonomously The dozens of technicians and engineers at the consoles were closely monitoring telemetry but could not intervene if something went wrong. The mission operations team is analyzing the data. We can all see the seriousness and the concentration with which each and every parameter of the lander module is being analyzed. The performance so far seems to be nominal. During the entire descent there is no ground intervention as the ALS has taken charge. The preparation for today's event had started nearly 48 hours before wherein various pre-selections and uplinking of parameters were done. We can see that the vertical velocity of the lander module has been brought down. It is continuously coming down and the ALS had already been initiated. one hour before the scheduled time of the power descent start following this the throttleable engine electronics module the techm was switched on and lander was oriented to the favorable attitude aap screen par ye bhi dekh sakte hain chandrayaan 3 lander imager display the lander imager is continuously giving is continuously taking photographs of the moon surface and that is also being streamed here currently the horizontal velocity has been brought down and the distance traveled is 574 kilometers the current altitude is 27 kilometers midway through the 11 and a half minute breaking phase this report 
the next phase after the rough breaking phase is the attitude hold phase which will be for a duration of nearly 10 seconds the lander will be oriented such that both the altimeters will be looking exactly towards the moon surface at the end of this attitude hold phase height measurement update to navigation system will be given from the laser and car band altimeters currently we are in the middle of the rough breaking phase Near the end of the braking phase, the rocket retrofiring reduced thrust, and the fine braking phase began. After the rough braking and the attitude hold phase, we shall be having the fine braking phase, which will continue for nearly three minutes. The whole phase is being driven by the autonomous landing sequencer, and there is no intervention from ground. Yes, we are privileged to have with us Honourable Prime Minister of India, Sri Narendra Modi ji. who has joined us from south africa's johannesburg to encourage us we can hear from the uh, mission operations team that the sensors are performing nominally and uh, we are currently in the midst of the fine breaking phase which is going to continue for 3 minutes and the altitude is going to be reduced to nearly 800 800 meters at the end of this phase With its horizontal velocity now zero, Vikram reoriented from its horizontal attitude to a vertical one. The struggle was no longer with orbital motion; it was now against the lunar gravity. If Vikram's engines failed at any time henceforth, Vikram would plummet to the surface with an acceleration of 1.6 meters per second per second. We are nearing. the final phase of the power descent which is going to be the vertical descent phase or the local navigation phase ji ha ab hum fine breaking phase ke ekdam kareeb aa chuke ha aap taaliyon ke gadgadahat se sun sakte hain ki hum logon ne teesre charan ko bhi bahut hi safalta purvak hasil kar liya hai aur abhi hum vertical descent phase mein aa chuke hain jiski shuruaat bhi bahut hi acche dhang se ho chuki hai lot of applause indicates that uh, till now the performance has been nominal we are in the vertical descent phase 1 the altitude is being brought down from 800 meters and we are nearing and approaching the lunar surface we are above the landing site the horizontal as well as the vertical velocity is now being constantly reduced and the lander module has begun its descent towards the landing site it was at this point that vikram's predecessor from the chandrayaan 2 mission had failed the tension in penya was palpable we here at the space show were turning blue vikram hovered searching autonomously for a rock free landing site then began its final descent we are approaching the uh, vertical descent phase 2 which will have the lander module hovering at nearly 150 meters above the lunar surface the sensors that are updating at this point are providing confirmation of the safety of the landing site i had expected the retargeting is going on and this is a very good signature for the lander currently only two engines are now being fired and uh, we are nearly at zero velocity vertical and horizontal we are we were hovering and now we are approaching the moon surface
we can see the Honorable Prime Minister, Sri Narendra Modi ji, who is here to encourage us. And he is critically looking at the visuals. When touchdown occurred, most people cheered, some danced with joy, and everyone had smiles. People are applauding. Let us all wait to hear from the Secretary Department of Space and Chairman ISRO, Sri S. Somnath. Lander Madul Puri Trase safely or softly Chandramake Satape land ho chukahe. ये हम लोगों के लिए बहुत ही गर्व की बात है हिंदी में एक कहावत है कि चंदा मामा दूर के लेकिन अब हम ये कह सकते हैं कि चंदा मामा अपने घर के बहुत ही उम्दा द हार्ड वर्क ऑफ द एंटायर इसरो कम्युनिटी हैज कम टू फ्रूएशन Almost immediately, Prime Minister Modi, who was visiting South Africa, reminded us of Neil Armstrong's We Came in Peace for All Mankind. India is now on the moon. On this joyous occasion, I would like to address all the people of the world the people of every country and region, India's successful moon mission is not just India's alone. This is a year in which the world is witnessing India's G20 presidency. Our approach of one earth one family, one future is resonating across the globe. This human-centric approach that we present and that we represent has been welcomed universally. Our moon mission is also based on the same human-centric approach. Therefore, this success belongs to all of humanity. And it will help moon missions by other countries in the future. I am confident that all countries in the world, including those from the global south, are capable of achieving such feats. We can all aspire for the moon and beyond. The team leader of the Chandrayaan-3 mission spoke of future Indian space endeavours inspiring for any, any of us in the future. So as the Honorable Prime Minister mentioned, we will, we will be now looking at putting the man in uh, space, putting a spacecraft around uh, Venus and landing a craft in Mars. Work on all these activities are going on for 
few years and this success today will inspire us and will spur us to take those efforts even more strongly so that we will make our country proud again and again and again. Several hours after Vikram landed, the small Pragran rover rolled down a ramp and onto the lunar surface. You're listening to 88.3 Southern FM, the sounds of the Bayside. And this is our Blue Moon, Super Moon, Space Show Special. And now on the Space Show, we're off to the Arnhem Space Centre. Earlier this year, Miles Hatfield, a science writer at the Goddard Space Flight Centre in Greenbelt, Maryland, accompanied a team of scientists to the Arnhem Space Centre and watched as they launched a rocket. The rocket was designed to study Proxima Centauri, rather the um, the exoplanet that orbits it. But why don't I let uh, Miles tell the story himself? Now, this episode is called... It's the first of six episodes, uh, A Star Fit for Life. Over the last two decades, scientists have found thousands of planets elsewhere in the universe. These are called exoplanets. As we get better and better at finding them, we need ways to narrow down the ones most likely to support life. Two NASA rocket teams are working to do just that from Australia. Their mission? Study a special pair of stars best seen in the Southern Hemisphere and propel humanity's search for habitable worlds into the future. I'm Miles Hadfield, and I'm following these rocket teams to Australia to show you what it takes to launch a rocket and make groundbreaking scientific measurements. Hang on tight. We're going on an adventure. High above, down under. Earth is packed with life. But some environments are more habitable than others. So what makes an environment, or a planet, a good place for life to thrive? Well, one thing is... Water! And in fact, that's what the search for life elsewhere in the universe is focused on so far. Finding planets where water can exist in liquid form. There's a region around every star that scientists call the Goldilocks zone. A planet in this zone has the right temperature for water to remain liquid. Too close, and the water will evaporate away. Too far, and it'll freeze. The distance has to be just right. This zone has been the basis for the search for habitable worlds. But just because a planet is inside the Goldilocks zone doesn't mean it can sustain life. Take, for example, the closest known exoplanet to Earth at just 4.2 light years away. It's located in the Goldilocks zone, but scientists think the star's frequent eruptions might have blown away any atmosphere the planet might have had. In other words, the Goldilocks zone is just a first guess. To truly tell whether an exoplanet is habitable, we need to look at the star it's orbiting. Unfortunately, we can't just observe a planet and understand it at face value. We have to understand it in the context of what its parent star is giving it. So scientists have been collecting data from different types of stars to learn how they affect their planets. We would like to be able to create a menu of star-planet possibilities that our future missions can draw from and prioritize uh, the most promising places to find habitable environments. The next item to be added to the menu? Yellow stars. 
we're looking for something around 5 billion years old, an average size. Wait a second, don't we have one right here? So why not use the sun? We thought that our sun is the prototype for kind of 5 billion year old average yellow stars. What we've learned recently is that our sun is actually quite inactive for a 5 billion year old yellow star. Typical Earthling behavior, really, thinking we're the example for the entire universe. But it turns out, yellow stars are found throughout our galaxy, and they tend to erupt with life-altering activity more often than our sun does. So, if we want to understand if they can still support life, we'll need more data than our sun can give us. That's why two rocket teams are looking to Alpha Centauri A and B. The reason why we're targeting Alpha Centauri is that it's our nearest solar twin. So in many, many ways, it's just like the sun. It has almost the same mass, it's a very similar age, and it's nearby, which is always great. And with the help of NASA sounding rockets, they'll capture light from those stars that doesn't make it to the ground. This range of highly energetic ultraviolet light has never been measured before for these stars. Even small differences in this UV light from a star can determine whether a nearby planet can support life or not. But the Alpha Centauri system isn't visible from most places in the U.S. It's best studied from the Southern Hemisphere. That's why we're here in Northern Australia, in the traditional homelands of the Yongu people. They've been observing the stars here for tens of thousands of years. I'm here with two rocket science teams, Sistine and Deuce, and a crew of about 50 NASA engineers, rocket specialists, and support staff. In partnership with Equatorial Launch Australia and the Gumach Corporation, They've created an entire rocket range from scratch to help the scientists achieve their goals. In this series, you're going to meet these teams and follow their quest high above the Australian outback to see what it takes to make these first-ever measurements from our closest stellar neighbors. We're going behind the scenes to learn more about the science of habitability and what goes into launching a rocket, dodging venomous snakes and crocodiles along the way. But first, we'll take a look at how this brand-new rocket range came to life with the help of the Yolnu people who have been observing these stars for millennia. For as long as our records go back, humans have been looking to the stars. We've used them to navigate, to track weather and tides, and to tell the stories of who we are and where we come from. Here in East Arnhem Land, that connection to the night sky has been passed down for generations. And now it's being carried into the future, propelled by rocket fuel. We're here in Australia, and we're going to launch some rockets. We're following two NASA rocket missions as they try to understand how stars make the planets around them suitable for life. I'm Miles Hatfield, and in this episode, we're talking about living with the stars. The rocket range may be new, but for the people of East Arnhem Land, an interest in the night sky is about as far from new as you can get. This is the traditional home of the Yolnu people, one of the oldest cultures on Earth. As owners of the land and partners in establishing the new Arnhem Space Center, they're enriching cutting-edge space research with thousands of years of tradition connecting them to the night sky. As the NASA crew arrived in Australia, we met Jawa Yunupingu, elder in the Gumach clan, one of the 13 clans comprising the Yolnu nation. Jawa is also chairman of the Gumach Corporation, 
which represents the interests of the Gumach people in political and economic affairs. He invited us back to Gumach Corporation headquarters, where we spoke with him and Klaus Helms to learn more about his clan and their long history with the stars. We talk about the stars and uh, how important they are to the Yolngu people culturally. You know, instead of compasses, we followed the stars to get to wherever we wanted to get to. One of the stories Jawa told us was about a prominent cluster of stars known to Westerners as the Pleiades. Cultures all over the world have stories about the Pleiades, which are often portrayed as siblings. The Gumach story tells of seven sisters who rode across the sky in a large canoe. The Gumach refer to them as Julpan, the Yonu word for canoe. I think this is kind of the Milky Way, mm -hmm. where the stars are. Mm -hmm. yeah. And the Seven Sisters, we sing that in their song lines of the Julpan, them. This is the canoe, the Julpan. According to the story we were told, the Seven Sisters fish and gather food until they reach their home beyond the horizon where they cook it. The Yolnu say they can sometimes see the smoke from their fires from beyond the horizon. In the stories, they look down and you know, look over the country as well as the, the, the people that they were once, you know. Learning these stories was a critical part of Jawa's upbringing and a tradition he hopes to uphold for the next generation. Whether it's from a painting like this, whether it's stories that were handed down from generation, you know, because that's how it happened back in the days. Everything was passed on. As the traditional landowners, the Gumach Corporation are leasing the land to Equatorial Launch Australia and have been working with them and NASA to make the launch range a reality. My clan, Gumach, they were well behind this. We were looking at the future kind of a perspective from us, you know, like the stars play a very important role in our survival. The Gumach board selected Klaus Helms to join them in 2011, and for the past few years, he's been deeply involved in the project. We had many, many, many meetings with, uh, with NASA people uh, to see if it was even possible. When Scott first got here, we were walking through the bush of the compass, uh, through all those trees, and he was trying to visualize, could it be done? And, you know, we just had to assure him that, yeah, we can do it, we'll do it. And, you know, the next time he came, it was all cleared. So, you know, that was a sort of like a, a breather for him to think, oh, yeah. God, yeah. you know, we've got a site. In a few short days, that site will be put to its first test as it propels a rocket into the night sky for an even clearer view of the stars. But there's one star you can never see at night. I'll give you a hint. Today, it continues to grow our food, light our way, and keep us warm. That's not food. That's right, our sun. Next time, how our sun helps us understand habitable worlds elsewhere in the universe and how it can mislead us. And don't forget, go outside and have a look at the blue moon. It won't actually be blue, it's uh, the usual colour, but it's brighter and bigger than usual. <laughs>
This has been The Space Show. I'm Andrew Rennie.